Welcome to Dogma and Devotion, the podcast that sheds light on the beauty and truth of the Catholic faith. We discuss a wide range of topics from the viewpoints of two complementary vocations of the Church. I'm Ashley, here with Father Dupre, and on today's episode, we'll be reflecting on the Gospel for the Solemnity of the Epiphany of the Lord, Year B. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, Behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising, and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it has been written through the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, since from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and ascertained from them the time of the star's appearance. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and do him homage. After their audience with the king, they set out. And behold, the star that they had seen at its rising preceded them, until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star, and on entering the house they saw the child with Mary his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, They departed for their country by another way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Happy 2024. Happy Epiphany. This is a glorious feast. We're returning back to baby Jesus. Mm -hmm. Brand new year, same little baby. Mm -hmm. And just a kind of a recap of how we have been guided by the church to observe the miracle of our Savior entering into our space again in the flesh. And we've seen aspects of our lives as Christians already in, let's, let's call it missionary life, right? We have seen already the visitation where Mary goes with the Christ child in utero to visit her kinswoman, her cousin Elizabeth, who is also with child, right? And they they are going to bring Christ already. He's not even born yet, right? So missionary life. And and yes, with the difficulties that, that are involved with that, but you go with the joy of Christ. Joy knows no miles, right? And then the, the journey of going to Bethlehem to have the child, right? To, to fulfill prophecy, to really get joseph's commitment of faith and boy there's such a lesson in that in saying we we have to say yes to christ the whole family has to say yes to christ mary has to say yes to christ right at the annunciation from the archangel gabriel tradition holds the same messenger of salvation that speaks to joseph in his dream we call it joseph's annunciation in matthew's gospel and, and so again, they go again. We go wherever we're supposed to go for Christ. We will say yes, and we will commit with our lives. 
we are going to offer Christ on his altar. We are not going to worship at the altar of what is comfortable and convenient. God will show us the way. And, and also just the, the, the length of this celebration, right? We, this is considered the, the, the final feast in tradition. It's also grouped together with the baptism of the Lord. And, and uh, it's a bit shortened uh, this year, but we need to celebrate with intensity and with length. And this is why. Why do we need to celebrate with intensity and with length? You know, why are we still going through all the sweets and the eggnog? <laughs> and uh, some of us actually might be holding off to open presents uh, to, to line it up when Jesus gets his presence, right? We, we know the story here, the epiphany, and Jesus is going to receive gifts, right, from the Magi coming from far away. And why, why the length of time? Why do this? And it serves a very powerful spiritual purpose. It is for our benefit. It's to overthrow the darkness of seeing this world and ourselves without the light of Christ, we need to give that light time to really heal us, right? And so that brings us to the, the, the grandeur of this feast and another aspect of Christian life, and that is conversion. This light is not just for those who already believe. It is for those who need to believe, and that's who the Magi represent. So... We actually don't know how many of them there are, right? Right. Tradition says three. Well, maybe secular tradition says three whenever you have the little nativity sets. But um, And then the other player in this is King Herod. So he's a non-Jewish ruler, kind of put into the position as king of the Jews. Um, he had some friendships with Rome, so something very political. And then you have these guys coming to him, searching for a king, and then they eventually find one, um, and they bring three gifts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the gifts have a lot of symbolism. There isn't too much debate about what the three are, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and a variety of different things they can represent. Basically, you know, a little a little chest of gold. We've seen these in our little nativity and crush scenes, and uh, royalty. Right, the the king is given stewardship over the treasures of a nation. Right, and it's it's to be kind of used to govern the the wealth of the nation. Is we're going to trust this head, right, to to oversee all this and distribute things in a just and fair way. And so, and frankincense uh, is we we see that used in in different solemnities and in funerals, and there is this idea of divinity. Why it's it appears as smoke, but we also know it is an aromatic smoke. And what does smoke always do? It rises. And so, why not have a sweet smelling smoke? Because where would we say? divinity or the heavens or where God is, it's above. And so it's very fitting that frankincense would be offered here. Uh, and in the mind of a 
the the pagan, uh, which is who the Magi are, they are not believers. If you take away anything from learning about the Epiphany, remember that these three Magi are from the most likely Persia. They are not from the household of faith. They they are not people who were brought up to believe in the Messiah. Okay, they're going out of, as Ashley was referencing, there, there's a kind of political kind of respect, if you will, but they they do at least in their mindset see this kind of divine right king idea that if there's a long expected authority coming, well, these people believe that there is some alliance of earthly power with divine power. So this frankincense, right, is offered. And then the myrrh, is an, an, an oil for anointing, and interestingly, it is used for the burial of, of bodies. And um, again, it, there is this idea that, you know, or reality that you have to face that decomposition does not bring with it sweet aromas. <laughs> so, uh, but I, obviously, there is a beautiful implication there that, like, once we enter this world, we know that we have a lifespan, but what is the destiny um, of this child and why couple death with life? And, and we know from our Christian heritage that life is, is changed, not ended at death, but that's a Christian concept that, you know, death, it means gain in Christ, right? And Christ is going to be our life, but it will come through as death. One of my favorite doctors of the church, um, St. Gregory the Great, he does his own sort of meditations on the three gifts from the wise men. And instead of looking at them as like gifts that signify uh, Christ's mystery, he looks at them as gifts that signify things that we can present to the Christ child. Um, So for him, gold signifies uh, Christ's wisdom in us. And then frankincense is our prayers and adoration going up and then the myrrh like you said the death but it's our dying to self Mm. self self-sacrifice for that and how cool like you were mentioning about the wise men and you know they're really like the first gentiles that christ was able to witness to um and being the astrologers that they were kind of give this um big debate debate over science uh and Mm -hmm. faith faith and reason that they really do go together they can Mm. go together bishop Barron pointed that out he said that um science keeps faith from becoming too superstitious and faith keeps science from becoming self-referential that is powerful (laughs) so good that is powerful yeah right so major we got to go a little bit into their qualifications for carrying out this role in salvation history in the story of our savior coming to us and so a lot of historical research points to them being of a very uh, highly educated group in their persian society possibly even of the priestly caste Uh, you may be familiar with the caste system i have that in the in the continent of india And these are just kind of levels of society. And the higher you go in these castes, you have a higher degree of governance. And so to govern, you had to have education. You had to 
be up on the sciences of the day. And science, just to kind of add to what Ashley's saying, you know, let's demystify it a little bit, right? And uh, it's it's Latin word, scientia. Uh, you know, it, it's, it just means knowledge. You know, it doesn't mean something that is pitted against what God has revealed as true. It just means knowledge. It doesn't have to be in some dualistic competition with the truths we hold that are revealed to us and held sacred and handed down through the ages by religion. You know, it's they're not at odds with each other. We can take in knowledge we're made to know. And so they were given an abundance of knowledge. They had to have known something about the stars. And so they're commonly uh, or in the research and whatever writings you want to find about the Magi. They're called astrologers and they, they had to have been following right this great light in the heavens and the cosmos to know where to go. And so not just everybody had that. So they were they had some kind of entourage of some sort to make such a journey. It was a very long journey. Hard to say how long and how long it took them to get there after Christ had been born. But they had to be men of means and they had to be entrusted to do this, to be out on this campaign. And they are able to listen to other nobility. They had to get an audience with King Herod, Scripture says, and be trusted. And so they were of a high ranking from where they were in Persia. Um, and again, for Herod to want to speak to them um, had to be a big deal, you know, and where they saw themselves. And how reflective can their journey be towards our faith journey and just the persistence of it? They knew they were going, you know, somewhere loosely, but didn't really know exactly where they're going, didn't really know what the ending was, but they were on this persistent journey and how that can reflect our faith life where we do know our end is the Christ child and, you know, the Messiah, but how we get there can be a, a bunch of little contemporary epiphanies throughout our life. Amen to that. They are, um, I like to always zero in on what is really being given to us in these 12 verses of the second chapter of Matthew's gospel. And you have, first of all, uh, Herod called the Magi secretly and ascertained from them the time of the star's appearance, right? This is going to be their Google Maps, okay? The star's appearance, this is how they're going to figure out where they're going. And so Herod sends them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and do him homage. Now, those of us who know the whole story here, Herod is afraid of competition coming up. And he uh, wants to do so much more than just pay him homage. And he, by more, I mean worse. He is also going to issue this order to have all the newborn boys slain, murdered, who are two years old and younger, to make sure that this competition doesn't grow and up to depose him and his claim to the throne because this one has been prophesied it's a real threat okay um or at least in his heart he sees that this one is going to not allow him to have his place all right in in the kingdom and how crazy that is 
really, when we think about how as we cast down our crowns of egotism and pride and doing things our way, the Lord gives us his, you know, but in the heart of a murderer and someone who is totally living in the ways of darkness and not seeing this light as the true light, you tend to clench your crown. And so anyways, they go out after their audience with the king, the Magi set out and behold, the star that had that they had seen at its rising preceded them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. Now they were overjoyed at seeing the star. All right. So their knowledge served them well. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Now here's the, the very powerful detail here where they begin. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Okay. Now they just left the court of Herod. They know how kings dwell. There are places of lavish comfort and servants. And, and sometimes the servants are better dressed than you are. Okay. Like they are decorated. And this is a wonderful place to be. It's as much as heaven can be on earth in a king's palace. But they prostrated themselves on the floor of a cave where this king is born. There are no, you know, fancily dressed people. There's animals nearby. Shepherds come from the field. You know, what, what are they really seeing as they do this act of profound respect? They prostrate themselves and did him homage. They had to overcome a lot of what their eyeballs were telling them that has helped them to judge what nobility, power, and authority are and what it looks like. They, again, they had to come from high court to get this audience with Herod. And then they go into a cave and they prostrate themselves. They got up dirty, but they are seeing something in a different way. They are coming to recognize a different authority that is greater than the authority they know. And when they go to leave, they don't go back to that king they go the other way. That is my favorite part because the prostration is very, very significant as we kind of unpacked it right there. But the very last sentence in verse 12 here, Ashley saying, and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. So again, they're already starting to see like people do who follow Christ. They walk by faith, not by sight. They still recognize the king, even though they were in a cave. Joseph and Mary don't seem like nobility. Otherwise, why did they get rejected from the inn or many places or hotels where they would have stayed? Right. Uh, but they were rejected. These were people in a cave who had their baby and they still prostrated themselves now. After overcoming all of these things, what they know to judge as true, legit, legitimate, established authority. Now they're listening to dreams. Well, that's what Joseph did to get the his wife and child over to Bethlehem for the child to be born. Now they're, they have risen to that level of judging things with a new spiritual sight and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod. They departed for their country by another way. Now they had to commit Something was shown to them and an act of faith is an act of the will. 
It's not just what you know. It's about how you commit and you assent to that. And now they are taking risks of being persecuted. They are now dissing, as we say, a worldly power and authority, one who has the power to send out an order to murder children. And it got carried out. So he wielded tremendous power for evil's sake, sadly. And yet they aren't afraid they now have given their whole lives in this act of prostration. They now are seeking a higher authority. Praise God for conversions, huh? Amen to that. <clears throat> All right. So for our closing prayer today, we're going to do one from um, St. Anselm. He was um, of Canterbury, Benedictine monk. He was an influential theologian, and he's one of the doctors of the church. This is powerful. All right, ready? Name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O my God, teach my heart where and how to seek you, where and how to find you. You are my God, and you are my all, and I have never seen you. You have made me and remade me. You have bestowed on me all the good things I possess. Still, I do not know you. I have not yet done that for which I was made. Teach me to seek you. I cannot seek you unless you teach me or find you unless you show yourself to me. Let me seek you in my desire. Let me desire you in my seeking. Let me find you by loving you. Let me love you when I find you. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us. This upcoming week's daily mass readings are going to open up the next liturgical season, which is Ordinary Time. So we'll return for our next episode with the gospel for the second Sunday of Ordinary Time. Mm -hmm.